Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And I'm Ron Hersey. Yes, that's Ron Hersey. That is not Jennifer Ross. Ron actually has been around. He's a news guy. He's a music guy. And you have been reporting news in South Florida for how long? Since at least 1972-ish. So right about the time our subject in today's episode uh, was at his worst. Yeah, that's why I have Ron in here, because you know of one Gerard Schaefer. This guy was a real piece of work. Um, he had a actually a degree in criminal justice. He joined the Wilton Manors Police Department, and then he was fired and then got a job in Martin County as a deputy. And this would have been back in when? 19... Uh, 1972. Well, that's when you started, yeah. Right, so... You yeah. came to me with this story. You said, you have to do this. And I hadn't really heard of it, because 70s, you know... Well, yeah, it was a while ago. I wasn't here. I got here in the 80s, so right. I'm more of a Bundy kind of girl. I was on the air in Vero Beach, Fort Pearson, Vero Beach at the time. So, of course, being that this all happened in the Treasure Coast area and the trial was in the Treasure Coast area, there were, you know, news stories every day. And um, while I had covered stories about Ted Bundy and, and Otis Toole, uh, later, Otis Tool later, of course. He's the guy the that killed Adam Walsh, or at least they think he did. This particular criminal, just from the sheer cruelty yeah. that, and, and depravity, uh, stuck with me over these years more than any of the other horrible cases that I've covered. Well, he seems really smart. I mean, I've watched interviews with him. He's since deceased. He got... Stabbed in the eye and killed. And, wow. Both eyes. Both and eyes. And his throat was slit, and the uh, inmate never confessed as to why he did it. He, he took credit for the killing, but never said why. Um, I heard he just was, he rankled everybody in prison. Everyone hated him. Nobody liked him in prison, and there were rumors in prison that he was an informant, and there were rumors that he actually was responsible for sending one inmate to death row, so he wasn't very... Very popular in they prison. Took care of him. A guy was born in Wisconsin, moved to Atlanta for a while, and as you mentioned, came to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, graduated from St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Uh, decided to become a teacher himself and uh, taught at South Plantation High School until really? he was fired for inappropriate behavior. I imagine that. So if there was ever evidence that there are monsters among us, this man was right here in the middle of it all. Well, the weird thing about him is he didn't really think he was a monster. When you listen to him speak before he was killed and while he was incarcerated, he kind of summed himself up as that, you know, he kind of screwed up, but he, he didn't kill anybody. So he admits to malfeasance and, you know, abducting girls who were hitchhiking and doing stuff to them, but he never admits to killing them and having sex with the bodies. Yes, we're going down that road on this podcast. <laughs> it's going to be bad, but... Just giving you a little warning about the content of this podcast. This guy was, yes. was unsavory at best, wearing a badge right. and, while he did it. And using that badge to help him carry on these misdeeds. So after being fired as a teacher from South Plantation High School and um, because of an inappropriate behavior, and hold that thought because we have to go back to that later on in the story, um, he then decided to become a police officer. As you said, <laughs> he, he was turned away for psychological reasons by the Broward Sheriff's Office and finally managed to land in Wilton Manors as a police officer for a very short period of time where, again, uh, he was uh, termed inappropriate as a police officer. Well, he said that he was a whistleblower. He was whatever. But. Right. So he finds himself working for Martin County, and then 
In uh, July of 1972, Schaefer, on duty in his patrol car as the Martin County deputy, sees two young teenage girls hitchhiking. Now, this is 1972. The roads were still full of teenage hippies hitchhiking. You were one of them. That was the way of transportation for a lot of folks. There was no Uber, okay, in the 70s? (laughs) Right. And at that time, it was still considered relatively safe. Everyone was doing it. But he, he thought that... He wanted to teach these girls a lesson. Well, he asked them where they were going. They said they were hitchhiking to the beach. He told them uh, it was illegal in Martin County to hitchhike, which it was not. Right, right. He Uh, just wanted to teach them a lesson. And for some reason, he took them home. Then he said to them, if you guys really want want to go to the beach, let me take you. So the next day, the next day he went to the house, he picked them up and instead of transporting them to the beach, he took them to Oak Hammock Park. Where's uh, that? Which is in Port St. Lucie. Uh, and in a swamp, uh, more or less, but it is a park. And he uh, said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I want to show you the dangers of hitchhiking and what can happen to you. So he tied the girls by their neck after tying their hands behind their backs. He tied them by their necks with a noose to branches on a huge tree in Oak Hammock Park in such a way that they were standing on the exposed roots of the tree. Should they fall off of that root, they would be hanged. Now, while all this is going on and he's sitting on the ground watching these two girls struggle and probably crying in fear, he gets a call to go respond to some police duties. So he leaves them there and says, I'll be right back. These girls miraculously somehow manage to untie themselves. They come out to the main road and the first car they see is another Martin County Sheriff's car. Fortunately, it wasn't Gerard Schaefer, so they jump in the car, terrified, of course, and they tell the deputy what's taken place. Now, in the meantime, Gerard returns to the scene of the crime and finds the girls gone. gone. So what does he do? He calls the chief. And here's what he said. Here's from his own mouth. I had a responsibility to make sure that they were safe, taken to the jail and processed properly and returned to their parents. And when I made the arrest, it was my responsibility to make sure from point A to point B of the jail and nothing in between and I f***ed up I blew it you know it happens right (laughs) and uh, because of that I've suffered enormously I lost my career went to jail got a felony on my record but there was no evil intent oh poor me he said he he picked them up but he didn't rape or kill them they did win a judgment against the county for what I did which was abuse them while they were in my custody, legally in my custody. Not I picked them up and drove them to a remote area and tried to rape them or anything like that often gets distorted, you know. The intent was to impress on them that they could end up dead, which was true. You know, they suffered no physical harm. It was an emotional intimidation type of a thing. And it gave him a good scare, no doubt about that. But it was valid, wrong, wrong. I'm not saying what I did was right, but they were valid. I bet you they don't hitchhike anymore. (laughs) Wow. So based on that testimony and the fact that he was a deputy sheriff and, and by his own admission, no one was raped or injured, he was allowed to post bail. While he's out on bail, <laughs> while he's out on bail, it's alleged that he abducted, tortured, and murdered Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, seventeen and sixteen years old, out on bail. Yeah. 
Now, then he manages to plea bargain. He pleads guilty to aggravated assault. He receives a sentence of one year. Then the body. Here's here's what he said about that. When I called my superior and I said, I have the two prisoners and they've run away, right? And they're in handcuffs. We just got to go out and get them. Then they told my superior what the circumstances were. Then he called the sheriff and the sheriff said, Whoa, this is, you know, you're way over the line here, Jack. And uh, I said, Yeah, I guess I am. And that's when I was charged with aggravated assault, which is assault without intent to kill or inflict serious bodily harm. And then... But I didn't kill him. Right. However... They were handcuffed, too. Yes. Yes. And and we're going to get more into that in a moment. But then in April, the bodies of Place and Jessup are discovered. And an autopsy determines that they were tied to a tree, tortured and mutilated... Sound familiar? Yes. Also, the mother of one of the victims tells investigators that the last time she saw her daughter, she left with a guy named Jerry, and she had the presence of mind of taking down his tag number. Ah. So now... We have a connection to Jerry Schaefer. Now they go to, I believe it was his mother's house where he was staying, and this is where they discover a treasure chest of souvenirs, jewelry items, um, and sometimes even teeth, gold teeth. Oof. And it's determined that these different souvenirs belong to as many as 30 to 40 missing teenage girls. We don't know how many people. He uh, is classified as a serial killer. Now, one of the items that they found in his souvenir box were jewelry items that belonged to a student from South Plantation High. Ooh who had told a friend, I am going on a date with a married teacher. Gerard was married at the time. And I bought a black dress for the date. And when this woman's remains were found, she was in a black dress. So there are lots and lots of signs to Gerard Schaefer being responsible for a great number of murders. So now we move up to the trial. And now, in addition to finding souvenirs they find manuscripts in gerard schaefer's room he's like oj who wrote the book if i did it right he had he just can't help himself but i just want to go back you said he was married and he said that he was kind of into bondage and sadomasochism and that began at the age of 12 and he said he tied himself to a tree he told the doctor the psychologist this he said and and i get excited sexually and do something to hurt myself. And around the same time, he began to masturbate and fantasize about hurting other people, women in particular, as if that wasn't enough. He recalled, I discovered women's underpanties. Sometimes I wore them, and I wanted to hurt myself. This is what he said. Not sexually the way that the normal people are. Like I say, normally I just know I am. I'm a romantic, and but other people aren't. And apparently she needed that kind of... Uh, forcefulness of personality to make it okay for her it wasn't like she went home bruised and bleeding or anything like that you know it's a scenario but a role playing i guess is what you call it. and probably what they do with sexual surrogates today yeah so he he definitely uh was seeking relief from his sexual deviance and homicidal fantasies but therapy didn't help him 
And he even admitted to, at a younger age, when he first started experimenting with cross-dressing, voyeurism also played heavily into that. Uh, he also admitted that he began killing animals, killing and torturing animals, which is something like you do. we've like heard before from Bun- Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer, yes. Yeah. Exactly. So then, then now they now that they've got number one manuscripts with detailed descriptions of a lot of his uh, victims, which which correlates almost exactly with how they found some of his victims. Uh, then the trial begins around 1972, and that's when some of the most horrific testimony I have ever heard in my entire career begins to come out. So you're in the courtroom. I was actually covering the story. Um, on air, so I was reporting it on air, wire. but I was getting all the AP stuff. You yeah. weren't there with your little Morantz and your alligator clips? No, thank God. <laughs> reporting I'm, over the phone, this is Ron Hersey. Glad I wouldn't have had to have gone through that. Just reading the, you know, the, yeah. the testimony and the Associated Press wire was bad enough. Um, but yeah, there were accusations um, that he had tied up uh, many victims on this particular tree uh, that he uh, took great pleasure in sitting down and watching the girls suffer uh, while he made fun of them. And he also uh, admitted or was accused of having a fascination with watching these girls uh, urinate and defecate on them. This is him actually talking about that as he wrote it in his book. He's written it all up in fiction. He must be doing it. That's supposed to be the evidence. My book is supposed to be the evidence. And now he reads an excerpt from his book. The woman is by this time very frightened. This is good because the more frightened she is, the greater the thrill for me. I tell her to strip, but I let her leave her underwear on. I tie her to a branch and gag her if she is too noisy while I go about the business at hand. I arrange the rope and the noose and I dress the woman in the white shroud place the pillowcase over her head, and then, if I feel like it, sit down and entertain her with a bit of my conversation. Terrorize her. Give her my ideas on what she will look like while she's hanging there, fighting the rope that is slowly choking the life out of her. Make it as real as possible for her, so that she is petrified with fear. Make her know that she is going to die. The noose is arranged so that she will strangle slowly, and she sits on a board between two limbs with a long rope leading off into the jungle. When it is time, I will go off into the jungle and pull the rope, and she will hang. Then I will go home and have something to eat, and bright and early the next morning I will be out of I will find the body hanging from the tree, and only then will I really notice it, maybe fondle it, and maybe even have coitus with it. I will notice the expression on the face, the position of the body, explore every nick and cranny of her, perhaps mutilate her and delight in the smell of any urine or excrement that she may have passed while hanging there. I leave and then return, so it will be unbelievable to myself that I did the deed. I will not be able to remember doing it. Funny, isn't it? Yeah, real funny. Excerpts from Killer Fiction. Uh, Sandra London, who was a reporter, uh, became friendly with uh, well, Gerard like Schaefer. A girlfriend, she, he said she was just in it for the money. Well, she originally was covering the story. I think there was a romance briefly for a while. She has compiled these short stories into this book, Killer Fiction, uh, which is uh, available. I think it's in I don't know how many printings, but first editions of this book are going for ungodly amounts are of you money kidding me? on this is eBay. Sick. And yeah, it's, it's it really is disgraceful. 
uh, horrible and horrifying. And, of course, now that he's been convicted of the two murders and he's in prison, um, he begins bragging. It, it depends on who you talk to. He actually tried to sue Sandra London because she called him a serial killer. He tried uh, to sue for her defamation, for defamation, yeah. So on the one hand, he's suing people in authority who call him a serial killer. And then on the other hand, he's bragging to prison psychologists about how he uh, – put down Ted Bundy, I guess they were in the same prison, and how he was able to impress Ted Bundy by claiming 30 to 40 kills and claiming that he was the biggest serial killer, even bigger than yeah, Bundy. Yeah, he would. He rattled off all these seri- Donald Evans, Jerry Stano, Bernard Giles, and Otis Toole, or you call him Otis, mm-hmm. um, who killed Adam Walsh and a bunch of other people. He had like a IQ of 75. Yeah. He died in jail of cirrhosis of the liver anyway. But he was likening himself to those people. And claiming that he claiming was... he's better. That he had more kills than any of them. He seemed very intelligent. He was well-educated in terms of the law. He sent a lot of letters and documents to the different police agencies where he allegedly killed people and wanted to know all the evidence they had against him. You know, he was doing his own police work on his own cases. And because he was smart, he was able to tie up the courts with a lot of frivolous lawsuits and things, things like that to try, you know, to try to, 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 um, I guess, hold off an initial verdict as much as possible. Well, so he had numerous appeals, some 20 in all, and they were all uniformly rejected by various state and federal courts. But again, no death penalty for him. He uh, was killed while he was in prison. Here in Florida. And uh, again, yeah, there were rumors that he was not very popular among the uh, prison inmates. And uh, it's rumored that he actually ratted on a fellow inmate and the guy was sent to death row because of uh, the help of Gerard Schaefer. The fact that he was an ex-cop also didn't help. And uh, as you said, his throat was slit and both eyes were stabbed out by this uh, inmate who uh, absolutely said, yes, I did it, but never really came up with it. I wonder if he stabbed the eyes out first and then slit his throat. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Just to cause some pain. Right. It would have been better if he had tied him up by a noose, right? Yeah. uh, Or did, you know. And stood there and made fun of him. Oh, my gosh. So this guy, he came from a seemingly not so good family. You said he was born... In Wisconsin. in Wisconsin, and his father, I guess, his his biological father left. He was verbally abusive, alcoholic, flagrantly adulterous, and often absent. He he referred to himself as an illegitimate child and a product of a hasty shotgun wedding. So again, his family in 1960 settled in Fort Lauderdale. He graduated high school in 64, you said, from Plantation? St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. And he had several college degrees. When his parents divorced three years later, um, he was working on his first of several. Which led him to his teaching job, which didn't go too well. But yeah, you know, like you said, Otis Toole had an incredibly low, I mean, barely functional IQ. Uh, but doesn't it seem well, that... Well, was, he was put initially sentenced to death, and then that was... Overturned. Yeah, that was actually commuted to life, and then he died of cirrhosis of the liver at like 49. He was obviously right. a drinker. He was a mess. Yeah, and but it does seem you know, with the Ted Bundys and and the Gerard Schaefers, there's always that that genius element, you know. And I've always maintained there's that fine line between genius and insanity. Yeah. And this is a p- pretty typical example of that. Well, what's interesting, Jen and I always wonder at the our previous podcast. Many of the serial killers have had a head injury. They've been hit in the head, and mm-hmm. then after that head injury, they became this kind of uh, sexual deviant killer type thing. But I, I have no indication that he had a head injury. He's just, he seems very, 
just because, evil. Yeah, he's evil. He has no sense of right and wrong, even though he's law enforcement, which is interesting that he can get onto the Wilton Manors Police Force and the Martin County Sheriff's Office. You when know, when Broward, when BSO didn't want to have anything to do with no, him. No, they didn't. And there was some psychological tests that uh, that they weren't ah. really, really happy with the results of either. What do you see in this Rorschach test, a right. dead baby? Right. A mutilated uh, teenage girl. Hanging from a tree right. that I'm going to have sex with now. And the tree, by the way. Oh, God. This tree that was uh, the subject of apparently more than one brutal murder by Gerard Schaefer has uh, become a celebrity in its own right. Uh, there are several references on the Internet to the devil's tree. Uh, oh, okay. There are uh, people who have held seances around the tree. There have been reports of... Uh, hearing women screaming. Well, how uh, many women did he actually hang from the tree? Well, we know of at least four because oh. two survived, and we know that the two that he actually was tried and convicted of uh, showed signs of being hung by the neck and being tied. So you're saying the two hitchhikers, 17-year-old Pamela Wells and 18-year-old Nancy Trotter, who were handcuffed, he had to go on the call that he got from the department. Right. When he came back, they were gone. So those two weren't actually hung, but they were they were tied they to were this tied tree. To the tree. And then uh, uh, Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, whose remains were found, showed signs of being hung by the neck and being bound. So two and two put together with the fact that they found these girls' souvenirs uh, in Gerard Schaefer's bedroom uh, hidden away was enough. And then once they found this manuscript. So anyway, this tree, there's people claiming that they've tried to they eventually tried to cut the tree down because there were so many uh, people hanging around there. And <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. But, you know, morbid pe people are morbid. They like to go to the scene of murders. What is wrong with people? And uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want those vibes anywhere around me. No. Uh, but there are, there's been persistent stories that the tree, they tried to cut the tree down and the saw blades that they tried to use on the tree were destroyed, that sort of thing. And they claim they tried to burn it down and all that the burning did was that it it defaced the tree, and, and, and there are people who claim that the, their actually faces have appeared on the trunk of the tree where they tried to burn it. So this, Oh, my God. It's one of the creepiest stories. That's why I said when we talked, and I said, you got to cover the Gerard Schaefer story. It just goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. And they've only been able to, I think, try him and convict him for the two girls the, whose remains they found. As far as I know, there may have been others, but the two that got away. But there are 30 to 40 women who he is believed to have raped, tortured, mutilated, and murdered, and there is no sign of them. In one of the short stories in his book, Killer Fiction, a particular story uh, entitled Cut Bait, he talks, uh, and he actually read this, he talks with great pride about how he was out fishing on a seawall somewhere in, in uh, the Treasure Coast area, and two teenage, and he had been watching the sharks uh, gather as the night began to fall. He began to watch the sharks start to circle around his his bait while he was fishing in these Please, don't tell me it was a liver or something these uh well, i don't know but there were these Heart. two teenage girls who showed up and i think they smoke a joint which enraged him and they begin talking and he says in the oh, story so other people can't do illegal things only he can right so in this story he says he produced a revolver and shot them both in the head and then mutilated the corpses and destroyed their corpses by feeding them to the sharks who oh. were pooling around so as he disposes completely of the bodies um, 
to the sharks, which may be an indication of why we've never been able to find some of these bodies. Um, he packs. We up, know we have a lot of sharks. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. In in the end of the short story, cut bait. He packs up his fishing gear and goes to the parking lot where he sees a deputy sheriff. And the deputy sheriff says out the window, did you catch anything? <laughs> and he says, no. And the deputy says, what were you using? And he says, cut bait. <sighs> oh, that is just chilling. Wow. So, yeah, he was sentenced and given two life terms in the first-degree murder of Susan in Georgia, as you mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. But his method, he, he obtained his victims easily, as you just said, you know, as a deputy or as a fisherman, hung a noose around their necks, raped them, bound them, and then he shot them with a twenty-two caliber weapon as well. So he didn't hang them, he shot them, some of them. Um, maybe well, his service revolver. Well, if they didn't die, I mean, he, oh. he would sometimes leave them overnight. Oh, man. And then come back when he had an opportunity. So if they didn't die, then he would have to do that. And twenty-two caliber is, um, although it's a very small caliber weapon, uh, I've been told from folks who know about ballistics that um, whereas, say, a, a three fifty-seven or something a, a a big bullet will blow like, a hole, yeah. a twenty-two. Uh, will bounce around, bounce off bone, and bounce off organs, it stays and, in, and, it doesn't and, exit. and ricochet around and take out various organs. So it's it's a very effective way of killing. Lovely. So you have 25 year old Lee Benades, and then 22 year old Carmen Halleck. Belinda Hutchins is 22. Barbara Ann Wilcox, Colette Goodenough. Mm -hmm. I love that name. Susan Place was 18, murder, rape in Fort Lauderdale, Georgia Jessup. So that was one of them that he was convicted for. Mary Briscolina, she was 14, raped and murdered in Fort Lauderdale. And Elsie Farmer, 14 in Fort Lauderdale. So th there was um, a couple in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and one in Miami, and most of them in Fort Lauderdale. Right. But there was the Treasure Coast. He let those two, act they got away. But uh, the interesting thing, the last four offenses all occurred while he was on bail right. for the false imprisonment and aggravated assault of those two girls. Yeah, Georgia Jessup and Susan Place. He was out on bail for uh, uh, kidnapping the two, doing basically the exact same thing, and he went right out and did it again, only this time he was successful. So, yes, in 1995, so he didn't get death, he had life, but in 1995 his luck ran out. Another inmate barged into his cell, slashed his throat, and then stabbed him in both eyes. So. Right. The throat slash, then the eyes. Uh, prison officials named the killer as inmate Vincent Rivera. He was serving life plus 20 years for two murders in Tampa, but no specific motive had been offered. It appears that Schaefer's reputation as a rat and troublemaker in the joint caught up with him. But this FBI agent, he's an ex-FBI agent, Bill Haggerty, he studied Schaefer for VICAP, which I don't know, what does that say? Victims, impact, something? I'll have to look that up. Uh, in the early 80s, he called him one of the sickest. Yeah. If I had a list of top five, which would include all the serial killers I've interviewed throughout the country, he would definitely be in the top five. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. As I said, you know, beginning of the program of, of all of the grisly serial killer murders I've covered over the years, um, the Gerard Schaefer case has really stayed with me. I think... Um, Yes, Vi VICAP, I'm sorry, is Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. I think because I was pretty close in age to a lot of the victims and because I was of that hippie era, and he did... You were a hitchhiker yourself? He, oh, I, I made my way around from time to time, uh, th thumbing for a ride. And at that time, it, it wasn't as dangerous as we probably should have thought it, it could be. Uh, and with evidence such as this Gerard Schaefer case, it's pretty 
plain to see that, yeah, it, it can lead to very disastrous results. So, and then for Shirley Jessup, that's the uh, mourning mother yes. of her daughter. She said Schaefer's murder was simply a case of overdue justice. I'd like to send a present to the guy who killed him. I've always believed he was going to get his. I just wish it would have been sooner than later. And I f***ed up. I blew it. You know, it happens, right? <laughs> and uh, because of that, I have suffered enormously. I lost my career, went to jail, got a felony on my record. But there was no evil intent. Right. Yeah. He's just pure evil. Yeah. Everybody rapes, tortures, murders, mutilates bodies, and masturbates over them. And on that note, Ron, thank you. You're wonderful. Well, thank you for I the uh, invite. having you on Full Rigor. Too bad it was such a grisly subject. Oh, my but, God. Uh, I'm so glad you brought it to my attention because <laughs> it's right up our alley here yeah. on Full Rigor. Yeah, I thought it would be a natural for the <laughs> for the content, right? Thank you so much. Hope you join us again next time for Full Rigor. And Jen, thank you. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.